Welcome back to the Brazos Point Living Room. We're so glad you're listening again. And this week we have the three amigos, myself, we have Michelle Masterson. Hello. Randy Dane. Howdy. And we have a special guest this week, a Mr. Kevin. Hello. <laughs> Good to be here. Everybody was curious. They're like, who's our special guest going to be? And It's me. It's Kevin. If you don't know, Kevin is a missionary in Southeast Asia with his family, and he is a Brazos Point missionary sent from here, member of right. Brazos Point Fellowship. So we're glad to have you this week, and uh, this week's going to be a little different. We just wanted to kind of have a conversation with Kevin and talk a little bit about all that they're doing there in Southeast Asia and just how that relates to us, us today. So kind of jumping right in, the first question I have for us is... Um, tell me about an awkward situation that you might have had in a foreign setting. And this is for all of us. You go first, Kevin. Okay. Uh, well, the, the first thing that came to mind, um, have, well, I have a lot, uh, but the first, the first one. Oh, you're in a foreign setting more than most. Well, that's true. Uh, and you're awkward more than most. And, uh, that's right. Yeah. So double whammy. Uh, you know, I think early on, um, when we were overseas, I, uh, I would do a lot of exploring and I just get on a moto, a little motorbike and just kind of go out as far as I could. And I remember, uh, approaching, uh, a village and I, I didn't have a ton of the local language yet, but I had enough that I could, you know, kind of get by and, uh, drove by a house and, and, uh, saw some people, they, uh, you know, welcomed me in and fed me, uh, some lunch which happened to be uh, some uh, rats that they had uh, killed previously the night before. And I was staring into this soup, stew, rat thing uh, and trying to be polite and respectful uh, and uh, managed to get most of it down. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, not too long after that, uh, excused myself uh, to their backyard and uh, threw it all up in their garden. <laughs> and uh, fertilized that, yeah, that as soon as that happened, I, I decided uh, that was my cue to leave. And so I got back on my moto, Thank thanked them for the meal, and got away before they managed to. It was perfectly normal to eat rats. That is Southeast normal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they would normal. even, they, they'll pull out a part of the innards, and they use that to grease the pan. That's right. And then they will cook the rat in his yeah. own grease. Now I've become very accustomed to, like, barbecued rat, and it's not that bad. But the first time, you know. I don't know happened. the rat stew soup. <laughs> yeah, the, the stew version is not really, I don't mind grilling it. Stewed rat sounds tender. The stew is... Yeah, it's all that. So you knew going in. I mean, in. if there's cornbread. I thought you were going to say you were surprised <laughs> to find out what it was. Well, yeah, no, I I, I knew because they had told me that was one of the words that I had learned. You <laughs> was know. he was he like put in the stew hole? No, no, they, they they emptied them out. And, uh, <laughs> it seems like what was in the stew were all the things that I wouldn't want to eat. Yeah, right. Did they know uh, that, you know? You had to go see their garden. No, no, that was that's why I it, that's why it was so awkward because as <laughs> soon as that happened, quick. I went back in, thanked them for the meal, and quickly uh, vacated. Lovely garden. Yes. Bye. So, yeah. What about you guys? Mine's also food related. Um, I do have several stories, like Kevin said he does too, but I should probably tell most of them in person. So this is the one I will tell on the podcast. It was when I lived in West Africa and we were hosting a mission team. 
and we had gone to like a little corner um, cart restaurant kind of thing to order food to bring home to feed this team. And we thought we had ordered um, a couple of large pans of chicken. And we get home and we take the wrapping off and we see lots of little like dark brown pieces. And we're like, ah, they gave us beef. Oh, well. And so we serve it, we eat it. And then at the end of it, after we have all eaten a lot of this beef, um, our friend who is a Malian says, that was not beef. <laughs> we're like, what was that? And he said, that was all chicken hearts and liver. And we're like, oh, do not tell the other white people. <laughs> I had an awkward moment in Bulgaria. It doesn't compare to these two, but there was the, this bagpiper that was brought in to, to play for us. And he really wanted me to play its bagpipe. And it was a very, um, like... It's like Rod's slobbery situation. Oh. And he was really unhealthy, like really wheezy, really like you could just tell. And like he wanted me to play his bagpipes. And I was like, all right, Jesus, like cure me of anything that's going to kill me. And I just went for it. <laughs> played the Bulgaria. Played the Bulgarian bagpipe. It's really oh, more you like did. a. I did it. Yeah. <laughs> I did it. It's really more like a, a sheep's uh, bladder with a, a honker on it. Is this like a good? gesture of honor or something? Oh, yeah, it was why, real good. Why, why was this happening? Like, I don't know. I think it was make fun of the American. I and get him to play yeah, your bagpipe. That about right. Watch this. Watch this. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, he was clearly, like, unhealthy. Classic. And he, yeah, I mean, it slobbered all over this bagpipe. Just a sheepskin with a honker. <laughs> it really was. I mean, it's like I just don't want you to see bagpipe in your mind, and like it's not what this looks like. Traditional. I think it was a sheep uh, bladder, like a homemade bagpipe. A hon- it was a homemade Bulgarian <laughs> bagpipe. Bagpipes in general are, are already kind of annoying. I can't I imagine. If you could make like a tiny bagpipe out of a rat bladder. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh man, uh, mine is probably still just def- traveling with David King anywhere, and how foreign <laughs> people just like to pick fights with David and. <laughs> Well, to be fair, y'all are the foreign people. Yeah. Oh, this guy yeah, we're on their turf. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Yeah, no. Some of them were in Kenya and fellow uh, British people. Um, but yeah, one of them is uh, walking through Heathrow uh, Airport with David, just kind of looking for a place to eat. And this random British guy, out of nowhere, just looked. At David brought his pillow, you know, like you do when you're traveling. <laughs> As one does. Uh, As one does. But he brought his pillow, like, from his bed. Uh, just so he was real comfy. <laughs> not a neck pillow. <laughs> yes, not a neck pillow, like a... Uh, full on. Yep, full on pillow. And a uh, person uh, just said, uh, brought your own pillow, really? Really? <laughs> really? Brought was, your own pillow? Your own, like in disgust. <laughs> yeah, he was offended almost that David brought his, his uh, bed pillow. Couldn't put your bald head on <laughs> just the seat. <laughs> See, that could be offensive. You know, pillow. Really? <laughs> we had some more dramatic ones, but that was just kind of set the tone so well david's so offensive yeah you're right how um well anyways uh glad to have you kevin uh tell us a little bit about your work in southeast asia and what you guys are doing yeah so uh we moved to southeast asia in 2014 and um we live in a a a country that is um uh, closed politically to missionaries and so um we um 
when we first arrived, uh, we were primarily focused on learning the language, um, but also uh, establishing what we call a platform, uh, which is just a, a means to which we can gain access to uh, a particular area. Um, what where we currently live, we, we've lived uh, in the area we live now for about six years. Uh, we've uh, opened up a uh, sports complex as kind of a, uh, a way to get our visa and access to this area. Um, and it's a fully functioning business. Um, it sustains itself. We have great staff and uh, amazing friendships and relationships. Um, but our primary focus um, outside of just running that business uh, is uh, in our uh, ministry efforts and planning churches and training leaders. Um, uh, right now, we're uh, about a year into our first church plant um, in the area, in our province. Which is the, huge. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been something we've been, you know, praying and, and, and waiting for the Lord to do, in the, really, for the last seven years. Hmm. Um, uh, the district that we live in um, now, you know, for the first time has a church, and um, it's about a year old, um, and it started with four. Uh, and now they uh, average around 20 to 25 on a Sunday, which is really exciting. And four doesn't include you. No, yeah. So my wife and I, our family, we don't actually get to attend this church. Mm -hmm. uh, there isn't a church that we go to um, historically because there hasn't been one. Uh, but now that there is, uh, obviously, because of the political nature of where we live, we can't be that mm -hmm. associated. We can't be that closely connected with them. So. We don't get to go, although we were um, a part of planning it. We don't participate on Sunday morning, but we, you know, we have other ways in which we're um, really involved, especially with the with the leadership team, training them, uh, equipping them. A lot of what we do, uh, what we got to see get started this last year, is a Bible training school. So providing a lot of theological education for uh, local believers, especially up and coming leaders, who we hope the Lord will use and call to. Um, go out into new areas and, and continue the um, uh, church planning effort that uh, we've seen the Lord start in this last year. So uh, it's a lot of uh, a lot of work connected with the church. Um, it's a small, uh, you know, very young, very new community of believers. Uh, but we're hoping to see the Lord take that uh, and through these partnerships expand it all throughout mm. our, our province. To help us understand just a little bit more of how big God is working, can you give us like a one-sentence definition of unreached, unengaged people group? Yeah, so essentially, I mean, the working definition now is 2% uh, or less would be considered unreached. Um, and in the province that we live in, uh, there are around 20-plus uh, people groups. These are ethnic minority groups. Um, and all of them are unreached, and a number of them are unengaged as well, which just means not only are there less than 2%, um, many of them there are zero Christians, um, and what makes them unengaged is that there's no current work being done to engage them with the gospel. So they're just kind of out there on their own, no Christians, no access, and no engagement. I think something that's fascinating about that, though, you know, like having seen it for myself in person, Y'all live in a remote place in many ways, but uh, they have been engaged by cell phones. They yeah. have cell phone technology. They have been engaged by Coca-Cola. Yeah. Right? They have been engaged by other things. Uh, and in spite of having those things, they don't have the gospel. That's right. Yeah. And we've seen, I mean, the, the pastor of this church that we uh, planted last year, he is a part of a people group. He was the first believer uh, from his people. 
Um, many of you have heard the story of a young girl that we were uh, connected with in our village. Uh, she became a believer and uh, w was the first believer from among that people. And so there is uh, things that we're starting to see happen. Um, and, uh, and, and our goal is to just continue moving outward further into the interior of our province to where those people groups that are still uh, just completely untouched uh, with the gospel and, and really have no access uh, currently. So. Well, it sounds like you guys have a lot of things going in there in your community. Yeah. Even over the last few years, there's a lot of new work yep. that God is doing. Uh, just tell me, tell us, what is it like? What are the types of conversations you get to have, and and how do you leverage all those different things you're doing to draw someone into a conversation about Jesus? Yeah, so you know, if if we would think about our work that we do in kind of two different um, perspectives, you know, on the one hand, we've got the quote missionary work that we do, um, which involves a lot of what I previously mentioned with the church planning and theological education and pastor training. And then we've just got kind of normal day-to-day -day life. Um, and so a lot of the work, if we want to engage a village or we want to plan a church or do something in that realm, um, that's mainly done through our national partners. So I'm not out there, you know, going village to village, sharing the gospel with people. Uh, we're training and equipping and then sending local believers to go do that work. Um, but there's a whole nother side of things, which is, you know, day-to-day we run a business. We live in a village. We're part of a community. Um, and so ministry happens uh, in that venue, not necessarily because we're missionaries, but because we're Christ followers and, and we build relationships with people and we get opportunities to share. And um, a lot of times, you know, it's through those relationships. Um, obviously, we have to be very wise and careful how we do that in the political context that we, uh, we find ourselves in. Um, being communist, the government there is communist. Um, but, you know, we, we do have those opportunities to, uh, as we build relationships and get to know people, um, they want to know, what is this peace that you seem to have? You know, why, mm. what is this joy that you seem to have? Even when things don't seem to be going well, there, there's still something that you have that uh, is tangible and, you know, we can see it and they don't have anything like that. And so, um, briefly, uh, the worldview that we find ourselves in there is an animistic one. Uh, and so though the majority of the country is considered a Buddhist country, uh, that context, the area we live in, um, these minority groups are all animist. And so they do animal sacrifices. They worship local spirits. Um, and so uh, they don't really have any framework for the gospel. They don't really have any context mm. that would uh, help them understand uh, immediately the idea of a creator. Um, or, oh, and most of their worship is it's it's fear-based appeasement fear, right. of the spirits, right? Yeah, and it's all local. So our village has spirits for this tree and this river and, you know, this waterfall, but you go to another village and it's a completely different set of spirits. And, and you're right. I mean, the, the name of the game is, um, you know, placating, appeasing, uh, because if we do something wrong, if we break a tradition or if we do something, then, you know, grandma's going to get sick or the rains aren't going to fall and rice isn't going to grow or what have you. And so... It's a cycle of just fear and sacrifice. Uh, we're scared we've done something, we're going to sacrifice, which just ignites more fear and more sacrifice. And, and for them, breaking out of that cycle uh, is extremely difficult uh, because of how much fear that they're in, but also in just how much they're enslaved to this worldview. Um, 
that uh, obviously we know Satan is behind. Something that you mentioned that I love, you said worldview, is how you talked about the people who are stepping over the line of faith. They're going out and leading people to Jesus. The, they're disciples who make disciples, and then you know they use their sphere of influence um, to lead people, point people to Jesus. And what I love about that is that is applicable to mm. all of us in yeah. every context. Um, and I also love that because who better to point them to Jesus than somebody else who has had that same worldview yeah. and that same belief system to say, hey, this is the truth I found. Let me show you. Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely true. And, and within our kind of the discipline of, of missions, you know, we have this thing called the homogeneous unit principle. And basically it just means that someone's more likely to be able to understand and come to faith if they're in a context that they're familiar with. And yeah. so the young girl who we mentioned, uh, we were able to lead to the Lord a few years ago, she has already led three of her friends to the Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what what better way of seeing the gospel uh, going out, the kingdom of God expanding there locally, uh, yeah. than to be by local believers who are sharing what the Lord has done to their own people. Uh, and so we're seeing that happen. And uh, it's really amazing to just watch and get to be a part of Y'all are also, though, actively sharing your faith, right? Yeah, of like, course. You know, when I think about that, it, it honestly, in, in some ways, it, I think it parallels to what our life looks like here yeah. at home in the States because you guys have, you have coworkers, you have a staff at the sports complex, and, and you, you know, build relationships with those folks, and you share your faith with those folks, and they're probably some of the folks that are closest to you. That's right. But then you have people that come as guests to the sports complex. You don't know them quite as well. But then I know you do other things, like you coach, you coach sports teams yeah. in town, as a means to access to people, to engage people, you know? So, like, talk a little bit more about that, of how there's just kind of levels of relationship. Yeah, so, I mean, at the most, uh, you know, intimate, you've got our, you know, our staff and the people in our community that we spend all day, every day with. Essentially, it's a very communal, very pluralistic society, and so people are always around, we're always around. Um, and, and those relationships, yeah, I mean, we've... Just doing life together. They've heard the gospel, I couldn't tell you how many times. They know... They know where we stand. Um, you know, they're apathetic at best. They're just kind of like, oh, that's your foreign religion. We've got ours and everyone's good. All religion is the same, you know, kind of kind of uh, thought. Beyond that, then, yeah, we start getting into the community. And so I, I have opportunities, um, you know, as you mentioned, I, I'm part of our basketball federation is what they call it. Uh, there in our province. Um, Are you the tallest so person official. in the country? Well, you know, it's, it's great. I, you know, I, I enjoy basketball. Um, I'm not that great, uh, but I, uh, when you're playing with someone, you know, with people who are, you know, I'm a good two feet taller than most anyone. So I look a lot better than I actually am. Kevin is actually eight foot tall. Yeah. No. <laughs> Uh, so they think I'm a lot better than I actually am, which is a good confidence booster. Cause when I play soccer, <laughs> I is, nice. is, yeah, it's really embarrassing cause they're all very good at soccer. Um, but yeah, so, you know, those relationships, uh, you know, the Lord is continuing to continuing to provide opportunities. Um, a lot of the team there of the basketball, let's say is, um, kind of youth age. And so, um, allowing to have influence, uh, with the education department in the schools and with the basketball team. But then we've also got really high up kind of level relationships, um, kind of like basketball. Um, I'm not that good, but they think I'm good. I also do some golf coaching, which any of you who played golf with me know, I probably shouldn't be coaching golf, but it's one of those things that they're just so bad that compared. <laughs> I need to move there. It's kind of like, Oh, Kevin, he, you know, he knows how to hit it. You missed last week's 
conversation with Randy. And, and Maybe they think that about not just my baseball. sports abilities, but yeah, even Randy. his preaching. They'd be like, well, I've never heard other preaching. This That's guy right. must be decent. That's right. <laughs> but some, of the, some of the golf uh, guys, I mean, I, I give golf lessons to the governor of our province. That's awesome. Uh, and some high up ranking government officials. And, and those I'm not necessarily expecting to, you know, sit them down and, and tell them, um, you know, why I'm there. Uh, Sharing the gospel and church planning, that's probably not the best uh, situa- conversation to have with them. But what it's allowing me to do is um, build relationships with key leaders in the community who, uh, you know, value our presence. Uh, f- being an American is not exactly a great background uh, to have in this particular country due to some hi- history. Um, and so anything that I can do to, to really show them that, uh, you know, we love the community, we love being there, we're there to serve the community, um, and just, you know, doing golf lessons is just kind of one of those ways in which you talked about uh, golf, I, I basketball, soccer, right. But there's a, there's also a local sport, right? There are. Yeah. Uh, the most popular of which is called, the uh, uh, it's actually all over Southeast Asia. Um, but it's basically like a, a wicker ball. Um, and it's like volleyball, but with your feet, um, <laughs> wicker volleyball feet. Yeah. So you can't use your hands, <laughs> but, but you like, you have a it's soccer body parts, but volleyball <laughs> concept you know like you can use your head and I get knees. It. I'm a good coach yeah <laughs> but y'all have a court right at the we do yeah court at oh, the yeah, complex. yeah yeah i love they, it they're really into it yeah. that's one of the things i want i want you to talk a little bit more about is the complex and the platform right like you said it earlier to to have a reason to be in the country you have to have a business and the business that you've chosen to have is the sports complex um, which, you know, you could have chosen anything to yeah. be your platform. And I think what you chose is especially smart because essentially the sports complex is your front yard. That's right. And you are just constantly bringing people into your life and into your space that gives you that opportunity to build relationships and share the gospel. I mean, what else would you share about, you know, just how the platform works? Yeah, well, it, you know, it was an amazing thing. I, I didn't, we didn't go into, um, we landed in, in uh, this city for, we stayed there for a couple years. And after two years knew we wanted to move into another area, um, this particular province, and uh, didn't really know exactly uh, how we were going to get there. We knew because we're the only foreigners that live there, we were going to have to start a business. Um, but the Lord just kind of led us uh, through a, a number of different ways. But um, this type of soccer field, um, it, they're ubiquitous all over Southeast Asia. It's not like we invented it. Um, I was making a lot of friends and connections in that landing city uh, through playing soccer at these soccer fields. And I thought, hey, you know, the next time I go into this province we're looking at moving to, I'm going to bring my soccer cleats and, and find the field. And then that's how I'm going to be able to, you know, kind of get in with some guys and uh, long story short, you know, drove around, didn't find it, asked someone and they're like, yeah, we don't have one of those here. Um, and so that's kind of what predicated this idea of, of, Hey, maybe this should be our business. This should be our platform. I like sports. This could be fun. Um, and it also provided a need in the community that people were uh, really excited about the potential of having. But essentially the idea is, um, there's no leagues or anything like that. The business, though we have basketball and the and other things, it really centers around the soccer field. Uh, it's an artificial turf, uh, it, it's a miniature, so it's not a regulation size. Um, you play seven on seven. Um, and you can just think about it as, you know, you and your friends have a team. Me and my friends have a team. We call each other and say, hey, Thursday at seven, we're going to play. They call me. They reserve the field. 
they get it <laughs> for an hour. Miniature. Like I, I think that makes it feel like it's six by six. Like it's it's big. Yeah, yeah, it's big. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean you're like running. It's not like mini golf to golf. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's like a half the size of it's a regulation soccer field. Okay. You know, so I mean it's there's a lot of running, but um they pay they pay a small fee. You get it for an hour. A miniature fee? No, it's a miniature <laughs> fee for the miniature field, right? And uh and yeah, and they they come in. It's just a really nice pickup game. Is really all it is. They're they're playing pickup, but it's on a nice field. We've got staff. Uh, we've got referees, you know, um, and but it, it brings the community to your that's right. front yard with something that they love. So cool. Yeah. And what's really neat about it. And I, you know, I could have never anticipated this, but because of the history and the political situation and being an American in a communist country, you know, there's all sorts of barriers that you, uh, just come across on a daily basis. But, uh, you know, we've had some teams that have come that were kind of high up government officials or maybe the military will play the police, you know, and they'll use my field. And there have been times in which I've gotten, you know, for whatever reason, they're down a guy or they don't have a full team. I've had to jump in. And it's been amazing uh, in those moments to really kind of look around at, you know, this military team or this police or these, you know, government officers and really for that brief moment, be viewed as equals, right? When you're out there playing soccer, there's no American versus communist. There's no, you know, whatever. It, it's just you're on a team. You're working f- towards the same goal. Uh, and uh, and that, that brief moment really does something after the whistle blows and you kind of go back to normal life when you see each other at the market or in town. There's this weird thing that happens that kind of breaks down some of those walls. And so we've gotten to just be a part of some neat uh, things just just by being there and and engaging in sports and, and hanging out with people well and the other thing i want people to envision this like if your front yard is a sports complex then your front porch is a cafe that's right yeah so we've got a big patio on our front porch and uh we've got games uh playstation we have you can pay like a quarter and play for an hour kids do that and uh, drinks and stuff and tables we've got set out and so people come typically you know the dad comes and plays soccer and the mom brings the kids and hangs out with my wife and our kids. We have a playground that we built. And, and so we really are trying to kind of have a community type center, not just, you know, Hey, come playing soccer, but there's also other things that I want one. You can, yeah, it's great. Come to my neighborhood. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it really is. It's just so relationally smart. You got to have a platform and if you're going to have to have one, why not have one that creates relationship? Yeah. Yeah. It's been great. Well, it's super encouraging, Kevin, even to hear over the last few years, just the things that God is doing there and um, such, such cool stories that are happening. Uh, in a little bit, we'll kind of share with people how to stay connected to you and how to follow along with, with all that God's doing there. But uh, one of the things I just wanted to talk about briefly is I know a lot of times when you come uh, to Brazos Point or you talk to people about all that's happening there in Southeast Asia, um, that you share your story, you share what God's doing, and, and many people feel like... Um, and that's so incredible. Um, they're just built different. Talking about you and your family and the people think, man, they're just so incredible. What a God story. That's just not me. Mm. You know, I'm not capable of that. I would never, I could never go there or do that. But um, uh, kind of what I was curious is like, what would you say to somebody who feels that way? They're just astonished by your story, but they feel like they could never do that. And, and maybe they're not called to go to Southeast Asia, but what does it look like for us to use our context, our platforms to be missionaries where we are? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Uh, you know, I, I do hear that a lot, unfortunately. Um, you know, I, I think the I think when someone says, oh, I could never do that, um, you know, I think that's the wrong way of looking at it. Because mm-hmm. first off, you can. 
uh, you mm. could. I, I'm not special. Uh, You're really not. I'm not. Right. I'm <laughs> pretty, we know Kevin. Pretty, uh, pretty normal. Um, my wife is amazing. Normal. Uh, but <laughs> is, is normal too generous? <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, but really, I, I don't think that's the right way of looking at it is I couldn't do it because you can. I think the question is, is that what you're supposed to be doing? And, you know, for me, you know, I, I just look at it in terms of what does obedience look like? Um, I'm not special. I'm, I'm a normal guy, Lauren, my wife, um, you know, she's amazing, but she's also normal, uh, you know, and, and we just, the Lord has, is led us and, and called us in this direction. And so for us, obedience looks like moving to a country in Southeast Asia, but that's not what obedience looks like for everyone. Um, and I think about Abraham and I think about Paul, right? Abraham was called the blessing. Paul was called the suffering. Well, which one was more righteous? Which one was more obedient? Well, they were both obedient, right? And so I think whatever God has for you, uh, in whatever context it looks like, some might be overseas, some might be, uh, you know, this or that. I think the biggest issue in, um, in, in what it means to be a Christ follower is, are we being obedient? Um, and so I think geography is irrelevant to that question. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think I think we should, as we um, uh, grow in our relationship with Christ, uh, always be seeking for uh, finding, you know, how, how can I be more obedient to what the Word of God says, to what the Lord is leading me to, and let that determine, uh, you know, what quote-unquote measure of success looks like or, or this type of thing. And not to look at a missionary as some, you know, high-up, amazing, super-Christian, because the reality is... We're not. Uh, we're not. But it's just seeing him as a Christ follower because we all share the same commission to go and make disciples right. and to baptize people, right? And so it's this recognition that we all have platforms yeah. and we all have neighborhoods. And so the question becomes, are we going to leverage the platforms in the neighborhoods and build relationships and be intentional about having gospel conversations, right? It's, yeah. it's at that point that the Christ follower owns the missionary task. Yeah, and I think, you know, in, in reality, what I do in Southeast Asia versus what you guys do here it looks very, very similar. Uh, it's just a matter of context. You know, I do it in another country in another language. You guys are doing it here in English uh, in Brazoria County. Um, and uh, But at the end of the day, what we're doing and what we're wanting to accomplish and what we're wanting to see the, the Lord do, I mean, it's it's all very similar in the end. So. And at the end of the day, it's his work. You know, we all as Christ followers have the same commission to make disciples. We also all have the same God behind that. That's right. And I think that's the most important thing to remember. Um, As when I spoke on Sunday, uh, you know, I I, kind of the main thrust of the message was it's the Lord who's helping. Uh, It's the Lord who helps. It's not based on my work and what I can accomplish and all these things. It's what the Lord's doing through uh, obedience and mm-hmm. through faithfulness and whether you're overseas or whether you're not, it really doesn't matter. The question is, is that obedience and that faithfulness, uh, is that's what, is that what's, what's happening? And, and the Lord just loves that. And I think he's honored by it and, uh, amazing things happen. Well, and he is moving and he is doing things and he is answering yeah. prayers. And I mean, Brad Swain's heard me say this before, but honestly, I mean, watching it and having a front row seat, uh, it's just one of the, my favorite things in my faith journey these days, seeing what God is doing through y'all's ministry. And in spite of the fact that you're not special, uh, yeah. you're special to me. Yeah. He does say that. <laughs> it's not your golf game, yeah. but God uses it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's a big guy. Just an eight foot tall man. <laughs> yeah. Following the Lord. yeah, exactly. Uh, well, Kevin, we're glad that you came by and uh, spoke on Sunday and also that you just um, here sharing with us again, um, how can people stay connected to you and, 
and newsletter and, and all those things? What's yeah. their next step? Yeah, I think the easiest way, um, you know, email would probably be um, the best. Um, you can reach us. Um, our email is eastco87 at gmail, E-A-S-T-C-O 87 at gmail.com. Um, you can shoot us an email, um, you know, if you have any questions or want to get connected. And we've got ways in which we can, um, uh, you know, connect you guys with our ministry. You can also, if you're here locally, talk to, you know, Randy or Michelle or really anyone on staff, and they can connect you to us as well. Well, and getting Al's newsletter is a great way to have that front row seat yeah. to what God's doing. That Randy yeah, we put out a newsletter about once a month. Um, we raise our support, um, and so a, a lot of our partners, we get to share, not just our partners, but, um, you know, what the Lord is doing and, and uh, how their partnership is, is uh, you know, being used there locally in Southeast Asia. So that's another great way to, to stay connected is through the newsletter. And you can go. I'm going to go and, and I'm going right. to teach baseball. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> we, had, we, had a team, we had a team come that brought a Frisbee and they had never seen a Frisbee. Oh. And so they called it the plate. Uh, and so they were like, can Love we throw it. the plate? Can I uh, send you home with so many Frisbees? Yeah. To yeah. Oh. We should, yeah. Anything like that would be good. You could do bagpipes too. Have like a baseball and bagpipes <laughs> yes. hour. The rat, rat, yes. bab, bagpipes. <laughs> rat, rat pipes. Rat pipes. Rat pipes. <laughs> All right. Well, Kevin, thanks for joining us. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you, catch you next week.